in a world full of negative people. Hey man, I'm just trying to be a positive guy, a positive farmer, a positive outfitter. This is the Shark Farmer Podcast with your host, Rob Sharkey. Whatever. And welcome again to the Shark Farmer Podcast. Hey, I'm your host, Rob Sharkey, and today we're going up to Canada. We're going to be talking to Chris Jensen. Chris, what part of Canada are you from? I am from Ontario, southwest Ontario, about an hour and a half from Buffalo and about an hour and a half from Windsor area, Detroit area. Yeah, that's a neat area. That's, uh, I mean, us in the I-States think we have it all figured out here, but you guys are growing incredible crops up there. Things are good. We've been blessed with some good land and some good weather and corn keeps coming, so that's always nice. Growing the corn is only half the battle, right, Chris? You got to market that stuff too. You sure do. How are you at marketing? Not good. Oh, you're preaching to the choir, brother. I tell you what, this past year we've been using grain PhD. Now, that's not to be mistaken for my benevolent overlords, Brian and Darren Hefty, who are ag PhD. Grain PhD, it's a marketing risk program management, but it's all for free. See, what you do is you go on their their website, grainphd.com, and then you put in your information. It keeps you honest. You know what I'm saying, Chris? That'd be nice. Yeah. This summer when uh, corn jumped a little bit, well, jumped, it's slightly elevated. But it (laughs) got up there, and and I already put in all my stuff, and it's telling me, hey, this is a profit. You should sell some. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't want to. You know how computers give you attitude sometimes? Yep. Yeah, that's what they did. So I ended up selling some, and now now that's looking pretty darn good. Yeah, sometimes you just got to get lucky, too. Yeah. Are you uh, tech-savvy, would you say? No, I don't think I am. No, I, I don't either. I just have to wait for daylight saving times for all my digital clocks to be correct. That's how bad I am. <laughs> yes, but even I could figure this out. It's super simple. You go on there, it kind of takes you through that. Plus, if you visit that site again and again, you get hints from the experts. They give you free advice. This is like advice you subscribe to those other guys for, and you pay them lots of money, and it's not as good. This stuff's free. You know, if I were you, Chris, I think I would go to Grain PhD, fill out your information, and start selling for a profit. I will have to check that out. Yeah, they need a catchphrase. We should come up with something together. I don't know. You think about it during this interview. If you come up with a good catchphrase for Grain PhD, let me know. I'll try. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I always thought if I was running something like this, it would be Grain GED. Get that? GED. It's, yeah. I got it. Yeah, that could be a catchphrase. Don't be a grain GED because you could use grain PhD. Anyway, all right, grainphd.com. Chris, you're up there in Ontario. Give us a little background of who you are. I farm with my brother. We're dairy farmers in Oxford County. We milk about 180 cows. I'm married with three kids. They're nine, seven, and four. My brother has three as well, and my sister has three. I'm starting to see a trend, Chris. Yeah, and I'm from three as well, yeah. Huh. I mean, do you have something against even numbers? (laughs) No. We always talked, maybe we'd do a fourth, but three was crazy enough, so I think we're good. You know, we got four, and honestly, it's no different. I haven't seen our fourth kid in months. (laughs) Well... Yeah, yours are a little <laughs> older than mine. I got to see mine. 
I'm assuming this was a family farm you grew up on. Yeah, family farm. My grandparents emigrated from Holland in 1950, and my dad and his brother took over the dairy farm in 70. And then my brother and I both went to University of Guelph for agriculture science. We planned on coming home to farm, and that's what we were posturing to do. We were thrown into it a little quicker than we had expected, but I'm glad it didn't happen any earlier, or else we, I don't know what I would be doing right now. Well, yes, and we're jumping into this awful early, but Emily posted on her Facebook about last week's Shark Farmer with Leona Watson, and both on Twitter and Facebook, the comments that came in, it's surprising to me how many people were forced into agriculture a little earlier because of parents passing away or whatever. So that's how we virtually met you. You have quite a backstory with that. Yeah. So 15 years ago, almost to the day, my dad, he was coming home from lunch with a friend and a teenager accidentally ran the stop sign and T-bone the truck that my dad was in and put him in a coma for 21 days. And he had a heart attack while he was in the coma and passed away. Oh, man. I, I can't even imagine. Now, how old were you when this happened? I was 25. So I'd been home from university for a couple years. My brother's a year older than me. So, yeah, we were just, we were all coming out to the barn together doing our thing. My brother would be just gotten married. And actually, they were expecting their first baby middle of December. Unfortunately, my dad never got to be a grandpa. 15 days short, but um, it was a fluke accident, like one of those things that, I mean, I've done it, I'm sure a lot of people have, you face out and you run, a, you're, and you roll through a stop sign, or you roll through a red light, and you just check both ways, and nobody was coming, and you keep going, and just kind of gives you a little bit of a wake up, and this kid, he just missed it, and it was just the wrong time, that's all it was, it was just an accident, he wasn't messing around with some friends. He wasn't driving fast. He was just coming home from school, his high school. And that was that. So, I guess I struggle with how you, you have such a positive attitude on that. I would just, I would hate the kid. I know, you know, I've done it before. Everybody's ran a stop sign, you know, just a spacing out or whatever. But man, I would just, I would have such a hard time kind of forgiving that. Yeah, I know. I didn't know if I would be able to do it either, but honestly, I felt bad for him because I was six or seven years older than him and been through school and, you know, got a lot more under my belt compared to him. And I just, I felt bad for him. We all did. Like, it was just an accident. The wrong place at the wrong time. I'll give it to him. Like, we had over a thousand people come through the visitation because my dad had grown up in the area. We had all grown up in the area, uh, farm friends, church friends, school friends, all our sports teams, and a lot of people came from a lot of places. Mm -hmm. He was the first person at the um, visitation, but he didn't come through till the very end. And all he asked was, will you please forgive me? Ugh. So, gave us all a hug. And, sorry. He gave us all a hug, said, will you please forgive me? And we all said to him, we do, but you need to forgive yourself as well. So, And that would have been so close to when it happened. Gosh, I, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, 
I'm actually surprised, but I'm uh, I'm trying to be as complimentary to you and your family as you can because I don't know if I could do it. It's easier than you think, honestly. Just because I think I would have held it against him if he was messing around with some friends in the car mm-hmm. or speeding or whatever, right? It was just he was just coming home from school, driving home. That's all he was doing, and it was a mile away from home. We get the call from my cousin. She had heard from a friend of the volunteer firefighters that were at that accident. She said, you know, that looked like dad or heard it was dad or my aunt was a nurse. So she confirmed it and he was driven to Woodstock, which is about a five minute drive to the hospital. And then he had a ruptured spleen and a whole bunch of broken bones. Once they stabilized them, they were able to take them to London, which was our kind of our critical care unit, mm-hmm. which is about a half hour away. And that's where he stayed. So it was kind of hard just because we still had a barn to take care of my brother and I. We didn't get to see him as much as we wanted to, but we just kept on saying when he was in the coma, like, you know, when dad wakes up. So we wanted to show him that like we had things under control, right? Mm-hmm put our nose to the grindstone and just work. My mom was up at the hospital all the time. And so was my sister. And we just kind of needed to stay home and do the stuff that had to happen. Did you fully expect him to wake up? Yes. He had good days and bad, but he was trending the right way. There was brain damage. They had figured that out just because of the blood that was on his brain. And I guess when blood leaving your brain cavity, I guess a symptom of that is you grind your teeth. My dad was really grinding his teeth. It was really bad. My mom went out and got like an Under Armour mouth guard just to save his teeth. And Mm -hmm. he'd said that in about 20 minutes. It was just awful. Mm. So we didn't know the type of person he would be when he woke up. We fully did expect him to wake up at some point in time. Okay. But then an 18-inch blood clot let loose and went straight to his heart. So he had a heart attack and died, and they couldn't do anything about it. Let's go back to you and your brother. Yes, because what you said about when your dad came back, you wanted him to see that that everything was fine and you two could handle it. That's when I got to remember your ages because that is, that's an attitude that I don't think I would have got until I was much older. Do you think you always had that or just put into a situation like this, you do what you got to do? I think it was a bit of both. The dairy farm is a very big part of our family, but so was family time and trips and holidays. And my uncle and my dad dairy farm together. So we had every other weekend off and we got to take holidays and mm-hmm. we kind of had the best of both worlds. So when my brother and I were both coming home from university, my dad and my mom would start to take longer trips to Florida or go to the cottage or whatever. We were kind of working alone a little bit here and there already. We knew we wanted to continue that by showing them that we could handle it, right? So when they did take off to Florida or a road trip or wherever, we just worked like we needed to just to kind of show dad that 
we could do it. When he was gone, we were going to be okay. It was a bit of that, and it was a bit of, well, when he wakes up, you know, he will want to know what's going on, and we got to answer. So it's a bit of fear, too, I guess. Mm-hmm. Everybody's afraid of their dad a little bit. That's a good fear, though. Okay, so when he does pass away, and you and your family are left with the farm and the decisions on what to do with that, was there ever talk of doing anything different, or was it just you two are going to continue it, and that's the way it's going to be? It was a we're going to continue it. Yeah, we were both pretty committed. We didn't need coaxing or to be talked into whether we were going to do it or not. We both wanted to. It was hard. <laughs> Two years earlier, we were building a new freestyle barn, mm-hmm. and the bank had lent more money to dad because he was an upstanding client with a 25 plus years experience. And we were able to leverage that. So the funny thing is when the day he passed away, mom came to the barn cause we were still milking in the morning. And, and she told us that, you know, dad had a blood clot and passed away and we had just finished milking. And she said to us, dad knew that you would be okay, but you can't make too much of a mistake or we'll lose everything. Oh, <laughs> she doesn't she, she doesn't remember saying that but i remember vividly where yeah it was and how yeah i can it. imagine that's not something you tend to forget <laughs> i always tell people that and i usually get a kick out of that when, when she says that because now we're 15 years later and you know we're still here we made mistakes but i guess we didn't make them too big well i mean it's your story but i can't imagine your mom and where she was at and her state of mind and all that with everything going on at that point. Oh yeah. I mean, well, we had just gone through my sister's accident two years earlier. So she was kind of in that mode of like caregiver at the hospital. And she was just kind of in survival mode, mom mode that she was there at the hospital taking care of everything and making sure everything's got done. Your sister's accident. Now, what do you mean by that? So two years earlier, my sister was in her own car accident. She was working for a produce farmer, and she was doing a delivery of sweet corn. She ended up coming over the crest of a hill and came upon a a hidden intersection, and it was a stop sign on her side, and she couldn't stop in time, and she ended up T-boning the side of a transport truck at the fuel tank, and that spun her truck And she ended up flying through the passenger window of the truck and between the cab and the trailer of the transport and into the field across the road. Oh, wow. She was airlifted to London, the same hospital that my dad was in. When it happened with my dad, it was very, very eerie because it was the same waiting room, the same ER doctors, the same floor. Everything was the same, which was awful. And good at the same time because you knew that he was going to be taken care of as as good as my sister was. Mm -hmm. He survived the accident, which is crazy. My mom worked at an engineering firm and they were trying to figure out exactly how it happened. So they put it in their computer program and simulated it and figured out that the only way she could have folded through the passenger window and gone through the truck and trailer was so minuscule that it was just a miracle that she even came through, no brain injury, and was alive to tell the tale. That's insane. 
to be thrown through that and, and end up in a field going through, yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, so when we got that call, that was the same volunteer firefighters were at that accident, and they came to tell us, and we were in the middle of building our barn, and I remember it was Friday afternoon, and we see these fire trucks rolling by, and we were outside. It was, it was a good week of building, and we were just having a good time, and we just said to each other, oh, somebody's having a bad day. Here come the fire trucks. Mm-hmm. Well, little did we know that that was us. That was our sister. Mm-hmm. So she is a incomplete quadriplegic, which means that she had spinal injury, but it wasn't a sever of the spinal cord. So she can move some extremities. She just doesn't have enough to like walk on her own. Or She can feed herself with her left hand. Her right arm is fairly uh, quiet and she can walk, but she doesn't have any muscle stability to be able to hold herself up. Mm-hmm. She can walk by herself. Somebody has to basically keep her upright. That was a pretty crazy accident. But again, the same thing, neighbors and the church and friends, and they just surrounded us. We had meals for months. It was awesome to have all the support that we needed. And my dad and my mom were at the hospital a lot. So my brother and I were at home the whole time working the same thing. Things needed to still get done. Let's take a second. I mean, this is rural, America and Canada. You can't tell me that it's not different. The meals for months and the people stopping by, it does make a huge difference when you're going through a time like that, doesn't it? Absolutely, because some people just would come up and say, I don't even know what to say. And you'd be like, well, you being here is good enough. Mm-hmm. I don't even want you to experience what we're experiencing, but I'm glad that you're here because, you know, I just needed somebody to talk to or go out for a coffee with or something. So I'm trying to wrap my mind around before your dad's accident. You're, so your sister goes through this. Did that change anything as far as, like, the way your farm was concerned? Not really. We ended up having to do a bit of a renovation on the home farm just so my sister could come home in her wheelchair and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But for the most part, the farm kind of kept going. It -hmm. didn't really change much. My sister's boyfriend quit his job and became her full-time nurse and caregiver. They're now married with three kids. So that was a blessing because... We wouldn't have to do a whole lot with my sister because, you know, her boyfriend was taking on that role. But as far as the day-to-day, no, we were just glad that she was home and doing her physio and her occupational therapy and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. But we still had her for supper at night, so that was always nice. Yeah. Oh, definitely. One of the things you said to Emily when she was uh, prepping you here for the interview is you're not the only person who has had loss. And how important it is to listen to other people that have gone through loss like that and then you can learn. What were you talking about with that? Well, just that everybody experiences loss one way or another, whether it's an uncle or a grandpa or a dad or a brother. And grief is still grief. You know, it sucks for the person that you're going through. But knowing that somebody went through it and came out okay the other side helped me out a lot because I knew that. Yeah, the season was tough and it was going to be flogged when we were doing it. But to hear a couple of farmers come up to me and say, I lost my dad when I was this old. And knowing him at that point in time, everything that he'd done after, I was like, well, he could do it. You know, everything was fine. Mm-hmm. He had a, he had tough days, but 
you know, everybody was around him and he was successful and he was a great man. And so it's, it's doable. Like we can do this. I lost my dad well into my farming career. He was actually fully retired. We had bought him out in for, I don't know, four or five years after, you know, he was around and then uh, passed away. Even then, even then when he passed away, I found myself wanting and needing to ask him questions about the farm and agriculture. You know, and I had been farming for 15 years on my own at that point. I can't imagine being 25, newly back to the farm from university, and then having to learn all the stuff that your dad knew. Having my mom around still because to help us with the books and kind of knew her and dad spent all the time together talking about the farm and mm -hmm. progression and everything. So learning from mom, but also just Jeff and I talk, or my brother and I talking about what would dad do? You know, dad would do this or we would do this now or something like that. It was still talk about him as in, as if he's still just away on holidays, like, you know, dad's would do this now, or, you know, mm -hmm. I guess the little things like where dad would, check the oil and take care of oil filters and order something and check grease this or whatever to survive. My brother and I had to make checklists and notes and just kind of like put in our calendars that you know, once every week you need to do this and mm -hmm. just to keep on top of things that he just had in his head. We weren't old enough to do understand that yet. We needed to keep more lists around and keep things like that just to, help us remember what we need to do next. You know, like this year where we had, I've never planted this late before. And I know he had, and you know, just to talk about that or know that it's, it happens. Cause even though, you know, it's not something you can control. It's nice to know that it's happened before. Yeah, for sure. And the first couple of years after my dad passed away. We were still doing our own field work and chopping our own forages, and it was way too hard on us. We were putting up bad feed, and we were leaving the barn too early, and things were things weren't going well. At that time, we decided we'd try getting a custom outfit in just to help us with the forages and help us with planting and help us with the field work, mm -hmm. and that helped us out immensely. Just just because we could stay in the barns where we needed to be with the animals and do our regular stuff and let them take on the planting and the prep and all that stuff. Cause that was one less thing that we needed to worry about. And we knew it was going to get done properly and taken care of. Mm -hmm. Your family. I mean, you sound like when you talk about them, you sound, you sound like you guys are fairly tight. Yes. We all live within a few miles of each other. I live well. I farm with my brother, and we live next door to each other. And then we bought out my sister with a 50-acre parcel just on the other, just about a mile or two away. So she's on that farm now. And then my mom remarried, and she just lives a few more minutes more just away from my sister. So mm -hmm. we're all still very, very close. Okay, as a family. When you go through stuff like this, and you guys have taken two major blows, I mean, how much does your faith play into that? I don't think I could do it without it. Just the uh, support from the people from church, and I guess just knowing that 
<clears throat> knowing that we were going to be okay, the calmness of knowing that we were going to be okay made it easy. I said that was the biggest thing. I never ever once felt like we were going to lose everything or we were going to have something happen where we couldn't be okay or be be able to handle it. That would be the biggest thing is that the, just the peace that there's plenty of storms out there and we were going to be able to weather this one and come out on the other side better. It did surprise me, uh, the response from people that had to take over the farm uh, at an early age because of, you know, one or both of the parents passing away. You've been through it. Uh, you had people uh, help you and give you your advice. Now it's your turn. What would you tell somebody that just lost the parent that was running the farm and now it's all on their shoulders? The biggest thing I would say is don't be afraid to ask questions to people that are smarter than you. There's nothing wrong with finding out how someone does things better than you and to do that for than to do that at your place. I guess be humble enough when you ask the questions to just sit and listen because if they're more if if they're more successful than you or if 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 they're in a place that you want to be and they're willing to help you, that kind of knowledge is invaluable. Yeah, it's that humble part that generally gets most people. Yeah, we weren't afraid to ask the questions or get get the people that we needed to have in our lives and in the farm to help us or to ask the questions and to do what they told us to do because we trusted them and we, we knew we didn't know it all and we needed help. Mm -hmm. Your area, is it a big dairy area? Yes, very big. Okay. So was there other other dairy farmers that would actually stop by and offer advice? Yes, there were. We were able to have a few guys that came around and just legitimately we just wanted to help and we took everything that they said and you know either tried to implement it or take something from it because you knew it was coming from the right place and they had nothing to gain from us doing it or not doing it, mm -hmm. but we just knew for us to be okay, we would have to, we, we needed to do stuff like that. The last few years being a dairy farmer hasn't been very fun. Yeah, it's been better up here because I guess our, um, I know you don't like me to say this, our quota situation. You can say it Things all you want. I don't understand here. it. I kind of get it. You could, you could quota all your milk you want. <laughs> <laughs> we've maybe have had a couple tougher years in the fields but knowing that we're going to be okay because we can make the milk that we need to make and and that kind of stuff is the security that makes us a little easier to be able to weather a storm compared to our southern neighbors mm -hmm. like what percent of your farm i mean is is the grain side is that a pretty good percent of your farm we have 300 acres, and it all goes to make forages for the herd. Okay. So we buy in most of our protein blend and even some dry corn for the cows. Yeah, and it's just you and your brother, is that correct? Yes. Okay. Do you guys have to hire help? We do. We rely pretty heavily on help. We've got 
two part-time high school students, and then we just hired a guy on just finished college, agriculture college, and he's uh, this is his first year out of school, and we've hired him on full-time. So we rely pretty heavy on hired help just for the break of not doing a night milking. We'll come and we'll milk in the morning and we'll spend all day together. And then around four o'clock in the afternoon, we'll be done for the day. And a high school student will come in and send it and do the night milking and take care of that stuff. And we can be home with the family and the kids and helping put the bed or go to hockey or whatever we need to do for the evening. They can do it. Those high schoolers. I mean, you trust them to, to do all that. We do. We've, we've had really good help, but we give them a lot of responsibility and they seem to do well. We don't have much turnover, which is nice, and so we give them a lot of responsibility, but they seem to want it and thrive on it because we'll leave the barn, and they're alone for four hours, and if they have a problem, they call us, mm-hmm. but most nights, we don't see them or hear from them, and they just do their thing. Huh. I I might go out on a limb here and say that's a rarity. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. We do value our our home life as much as the as the next guy, and especially having little kids and getting them off the bus and you know doing the whole night thing and helping them put the bed and do whatever. That family time is nice for sure. I didn't get that when I was a kid because my dad and my uncle had to milk every night and every morning. And but I do cherish that for sure because it is pretty nice to be around when they're home. So this is a change from when you grew up. As far as how the dairies sure. run, yeah. Do you yeah. think Do you think those two accidents had something to do with that? Absolutely, mm-hmm. I do. For a while after my sister's accident, and then for a, quite a while after my dad's accident, we were overworked and we had a lot to do. And my brother had just had his firstborn two weeks later, so he was trying to get home when he could and. We had a lot on the farm and it was just, it was something that we just really decided once we could, we started getting a bit of help just to give us a break. Mm -hmm. I have not milked a night milking in over a year because we've had such good help that if they need a time off, they like, they switch with each other. Like they don't even bother us anymore about it. They just, they just say, Oh, by the way, there's other guys coming in for me tonight. Yeah. That's fantastic. It is. It is. We've been very fortunate on getting. I think we've had hired help for about 10 years now and it's just been steadily getting better and better. And we've made things easier on the farm. They can do it, mm-hmm. but it's also like we've given them responsibility and they've stepped up. So it's, I think it's a bit of both. So if you, your brother or your sister have another kid and they're at four, do they get kicked out of the family? <laughs> They might. I'm not sure. It, yeah, I I wouldn't test that theory. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, as you're looking towards the future, though, what is your hope? I mean, are you hoping this gets passed down to another generation? I'd like it to, but when I was a kid, we were never, ever pushed into the farm. And I'm making sure that I cognitively never, ever push my kids onto the farm either. If they want to, great. If they don't, I understand if it is not for everybody Mm -hmm. and if they've got a different way they want to go on support them a hundred percent because they have to love what they do. And a lot of people try and come back to a farm and don't like it. And it, it it never ends well. Yeah. 
it'll change my retirement a lot if they want either they decide to or don't decide to. That's for sure. But that's still a few years down the road. Honestly, I think that's the key. And I don't know, you're looking at what, nine kids that could possibly do it. You would think that one of them would want to, and not always, but yeah, it's the ones that get forced back. It's the ones that have been told from a little age, hey, you're going to come back and take this over. <laughs> a lot of times that doesn't always work out. Yeah. We wanted to be able to give everybody the opportunity to come home too. So we've been building additions and doing what we can to milk more cows just because you know, we don't want it to just be, oh, who's the lucky one that's going to get home and come home and take it over, right? We wanted to be able to give the option of, you can, you don't have to, but if you want to, you're allowed, you know, we have room. You want to know, honestly, one of my fears is that I've got four kids. Is that all four of them say, hey, I want to come back and farm. And I'm like, I just don't know how that would ever happen. Yeah, I know. We were just talking about that, my brother and I, because he's got two boys and a girl and I've got two boys and a girl. And so there's six possibilities for us and a mine are still quite young. So they don't even know yet, but mm-hmm. his are a little older than mine. And I think he has one that will, that is very interested. So already there, like we have room for him, but I'm kind of glad there's not all six want to come home. either. <laughs> you know, those days are over, right? Or it's just uh, the sun. That you see, like I swear, you see more right. females coming back and and taking over the family farm any more than boys. There are some farmers around our area that will only hire females to work on their farm for night and for milking because they take better care of the animals than a guy does. When we used to raise hogs and we were part of a sow co-op, there was a manager that thought that the the Fairwing barn that that should always be a woman. So I I don't judge myself. I'm not biased like like those people. <laughs> we, I don't want to uh, limit my hiring pool down to 50%. Exactly. I was, I'll, I'm glad I'll do either. <laughs> <laughs> How was this year as far as the farm is concerned? This year was good. Corn was planted a little later than normal, but it had a good summer and we were able to take it off as decent silage. And yeah, things are actually quite good right now. Having that extra guy around full-time that we just hired on has helped with a lot of labor and, and a lot of, you know, us getting projects done and things cleaned up and stuff. But honestly, I can't complain. We've had a good number of years and we've been spoiled almost. Chris, you've really been through it. You truly, truly have. And I, I commend your attitude that you have with this because it would, it would be hard to have such a positive attitude when you've had these big blows in life. What do you accredit that to? What do you accredit you staying positive to? The biggest thing is my faith, but then just our family. My wife never met my dad, but I've talked about him enough and she's so supportive of, of, of what we do here on the farm. And she's the rock for me. And I'm sure my brother says that about his wife as well. And we've got a good family life, which is nice because then we can spend time with each other. We grow, you know, raise the kids how we want to want to. She's been nothing but supportive, which is really, really nice and comforting. When you have a long day at work, you can always come home and understand that you got somebody in your corner already. So that's very cool. And I, I do like the way that you guys have structured your farm to where you can have the nights with the family because 
Yeah, we've interviewed a lot of dairy farmers that, especially on the older side, that look back, and that's the one thing that they say is, well, maybe we should have spent more time at home. So I think you're a step ahead on that. I commend you for that. So Chris Jensen from Up There by Carl's Mom. <laughs> yeah, I thank you for taking the time to tell us uh, your story of your family and your dairy. And I really appreciate that. And I think people should take some lessons on how you've put priorities in your life. So, Chris, thank you very much. And everybody else, we hope you catch us next time. And thank you for listening to the Shark Farmer Podcast. I am your host, Rob Sharkey. Please visit us at www.sharkeyfarms.com. And just search for Shark Farmer to follow me on Twitter. Later. I was going to ask a question I decided not to. Because, man, I tell you what, like if I passed away, Emily, there would probably be people coming to you, giving you advice, but wanting to rent the farm. <laughs> See, our, our, yeah, our neighbor. But I won't, I won't ask that. <laughs> yeah, that, that might not go over. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs>